If you turn your Bible to Matthew 22, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22 will be our text this morning. Uh, We've been doing a series the last few weeks on being all in. Kind of sad this morning to tell you that uh, the series will end today, uh, but the challenge will not. We'll continue throughout the year uh, to challenge us as a faith family to be all in with Jesus and to be all in with His mission. And I trust that you've been challenged by this series. I know I have. Uh, Many of you have sent uh, very gracious emails, and we've had conversations here and just uh, what God's doing in your life. And um, uh, this hasn't been guilt-driven to make you feel like you're just some terrible Christian, but gospel-driven that we are to strive more and more after Christ. And this morning, uh, we're going to conclude this series here in Matthew 22. Before we read God's Word, I'm going to ask you, you'll notice... Uh, in your bulletin, a little card that says all in at the top. Just take that out, put it there in your lap, the seat next to you, kind of put it right there in your Bible and just hold on to it. And uh, we'll, we'll look at that just a little bit later. So Matthew 22 will be our text. If you're able to stand, please do so. As we honor the reading of God's Word, recognizing its authority in our life. And look here at Matthew 22, <clears throat> a story that Jesus tells. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. The rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. And the king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited are not worthy. So go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out and to the roads, and gathered all whom they had found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him in the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called but few are chosen. Pray with me. God, you have to do a work that only you can do this morning. Uh, I can't pierce hearts, but your Spirit can and has, and I trust will. Open our eyes to see, our hearts to receive your Word. May we see clearly our own lives in light of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I assume most of you have probably been to a wedding. Uh, Either it was your own, or at least I hope you showed up for your own wedding, or maybe the wedding of a friend or a family member. But my guess is the majority of you, if not all of you in this room, have some idea of the typical wedding customs that we have in our culture. And when we encounter the customs or traditions of weddings in other cultures, they seem rather strange, uh, really odd. Uh, For instance, in Korea, 
and parts of Korea, uh, the groomsmen on, uh, just before the wedding will take the groom, they'll take his shoes off and his socks off, they'll tie his ankles together, and they will beat the soles of his feet with a fish or a cane. And they do this because they think it makes him a man. I mean, because we all know that nothing makes you a man more like getting beat with a fish, you know, so. Or there's even places like in China where a, a man and a woman, when they're trying to decide if they're ready to get married, what they do is together they kill a chicken. Yeah, he doesn't look too happy about that, but uh, hey, just saying. And so they kill a chicken together, very romantic, and what they do is they look at the liver. And if the liver is good, they set the wedding date. And if the liver is bad, they have to wait. Or I assume kill another chicken. I'm not sure how that works. Or in Germany, I like this one. In Germany, parts of Germany, what they do is after the wedding, the groom and the bride go out and they saw a log together. Now, isn't that sweet, right? The reason they do this is they believe that it's a picture of how they have to work together throughout their marriage. I'll give you one more. It's my, my favorite one of the ones that I, I read about. It's in places in Indonesia where after the wedding, the man and the woman are put in isolation for three whole days where they are not allowed to use the bathroom. Absolutely. They think it's bad luck. Now that gives a whole new meaning to hold tight to one another, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm so sorry that I did that. It was terrible. Now, in, th in case you think I am picking on other cultures, even in our culture, we have some pretty crazy wedding stories too. You have, for instance, the Star Wars wedding, right? Now, what concerns me if some of you don't think that's strange, all right? Or <laughs> some of you, for instance, the underwater wedding. How about this one? Yeah. Like she took his breath away, literally. Or I've got to represent where I'm from down in Tennessee. You also have the redneck wedding. How about this one? Isn't that awesome? Like I saw that and I thought, ladies, are you telling me that when she was thinking about her wedding day, that's what she envisioned? My tractor's sexy, right? Whatever. We hear these kinds of things, whether it's in our culture or in other cultures, and they seem rather strange. They're a little odd. Maybe not for some of you, but for most of us, that's not how we typically think a wedding would go. And so we hear that or we see these things and our response is, who does that? Would anybody really do that? Now, that response is exactly the response those who heard this story about a wedding feast that Jesus tells here, this is exactly how they would have responded. Nobody does that. That's crazy. Who would ever think of such a thing? It is shocking. And the truth is, this morning, there are some of you in the context of an invitation to a wedding feast have responded in a way that it should shock you. It should really shock you. And that really is the point that Jesus not only has for these listeners, it's the point that He has for us. Notice first of all here in the text, you have an invitation that goes out. It's an invitation from God. Verse 2, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king 
who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, this is really, really important. God here is throwing a wedding party for Jesus. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. Now, just a little quick note for you Bible scholars, it's this. Uh, The kingdom of heaven does not just refer to where you go when you die, though that's true. Kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God in the Gospels are often synonymous. It just simply means it's the rule of God or it's life with God. If you are where God is, this is what it's like. It's what His kingdom is like. It's what heaven will be like. It's what a relationship with God is like. Now, how does Jesus describe it? He says it's like a wedding feast. That's big. Like, that's big time. Because a wedding feast in Jesus' day was a big, big deal. Uh, It was not like our weddings where you have, you know, the bride and groom and their family and maybe some friends and they do a reception and all that. This was like a holiday, a community festival, and a wedding all wrapped up in one. I mean, they would party all week long and sometimes the wedding activities would go even beyond a week. Imagine paying for that one, dads, you know. I mean, it was a big community ordeal. And Jesus is saying this type of celebrative uh, atmosphere, laughing and, and the clanging of glasses, and this is what life with God is like. It's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Which is why one of the things that I often say when it comes to church life is I don't do boring. I can't stand boring. I hope you don't come here and are bored. Why? Because God's not boring at all. Heaven is not boring. Now, how many of you have ever heard heaven described like it's this big bright light that we stare into for all of eternity? And it's this unending choir practice, no offense if you like choir, where we just sing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over. And everybody's wearing white robes, and there's the playing of harps, and we're eating peeled grapes. And, you know, it's just, it's just boring. If you say that sounds boring, it's because it is. But I got good news it's not how the Bible describes heaven, it's a party like you've never been to, right? I mean, there ain't no party like a God party. Listen to how, I'm about to rap, right? (laughs) But I will save you and me the embarrassment. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah, all the way back in Isaiah 25, describes what it's going to be like in that day. And we know the kingdom of God is now, that is a relationship with Jesus, and it's not yet. It's going to be even more one day when we're all with Jesus in glory. Now listen to how Isaiah describes this. This is good. On the mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. I'm in. (laughs) Anybody like to eat? Come on, talk to me. You like to eat? You like really good food? I mean, heaven, life with God, is described here as a feast. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And He's going to swallow up on this mountain a covering that's cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. Can I get an amen? I mean, God is going to do away with pain and death and sorrow. In fact... (laughs) 
Isaiah goes on to say that he's going to wipe every tear away from our faces. And the response in that day will be, behold, this is our God. We're going to be in His presence fully. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord we have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Now what part of that sounds boring? Nothing. It's a celebration. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. It is interesting. I know our deep, deep, deep fundamentalist friends don't like this. There is something about Jesus' first miracle being at a wedding party where He turns water into wine. Why is that? Because in the presence of God are pleasures forevermore. And it goes on and on and on and on and on and it never gets boring. That's what the kingdom of heaven's like. And it gets better. As if that wasn't enough, the reason why it's such an exciting celebration and party to be at is because the focus of this celebration is not you, it is not me, it is the Son. It's on Jesus. This king is throwing a party for his son. Who's the son? The son is the one who was given a name that is above every name of the book of Philippians. He is the one who is preeminent above all, Colossians chapter 1. He is the one to whom the Father has said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is about Jesus, the son of God. It's the world's biggest party for the one who is worthy of the world's biggest party. And I'm going to blow your minds this morning. You're invited. I said you. I didn't say your husband, and I didn't say your wife, and I didn't say your children. I said you. And as if that wasn't good enough, this huge party that God's throwing for Jesus, I mean, who doesn't want to go and be in His presence, but notice the last part of verse 4. See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, everything is ready, come to the wedding feast. In other words, you don't have to bring anything. You know, you ever been to like a potluck? Or you get together for the Super Bowl party and everybody brings a dish? You don't have to bring anything. You don't have to buy a ticket. You don't have to earn your way to get a seat at the table. All you have to do is show up. Everything is prepared. Everything has been accomplished in Jesus Christ for you to be able to come to this feast. Now, we could, we could stop right there, and at this point in the story, everybody who's listening to it's like, yeah, no big deal. Sure. Kings throw parties for their son all the time. It's what happens in verse 3 that is absolutely shocking. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. You're kidding me. But they would not come. 
No, 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 listen, 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 listen. If you were listening to this when Jesus told this story, everybody in the room would be like, what did He just say? They didn't go. They didn't go. Nobody does that. The king is throwing a party for his son and he invited people and they said, nah. And not only did they say no, they were arrogant about it. Look at verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, the other to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Now, I, I try to think, how do, I, how do I get you in this text? Like, how do I make you feel what they would have felt hearing this? Because, listen, how many of you have ever received an invitation for something? You know, like a graduation, a wedding. Raise your hand if you've been invited to something, okay? I invite you to church next week. Now you've all been invited to something. When we get invitations, we typically have to evaluate things, don't we? You know, do I like this person? You know, do I have time on my schedule? There's, you know, we, we always have to kind of analyze that. And sometimes we have to turn the invitation down. I'm sure you've done that, you know. Hey, I can't make it. I'm out of town. da 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 da, da. i got to work late. Whatever. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here would be more like this. You decide that you're going to throw a party for your son or your daughter. You send out the invitations. They respond with this. Your son, <laughs> he's not worth my time. Your daughter, like, makes me want to throw up. The idea of going to her party, gross. Or they send a selfie of them with your invitation, burning it. Yeah, what do you think about that? About your son, your daughter. What do you do? I know what I do. I'm like Rambo UFC fighter part 48 on steroids with a bad hair day. <laughs> I mean, it's on. Why? Because you're not rejecting the party. You're saying something about the significance of my son. Rejecting this invitation wasn't about, yeah, I just can't make it. It's, I don't think the sun's worth it. And you and I are invited to the party of God in honor of the Son to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what that means. And some of you have said no. Some of you have said no. Do you know how crazy that is? And, and in saying no, you haven't just said something about church. You haven't just said something about the pastor or your family. You've said something about the value and significance of Jesus. The Bible says every one of us has done this at some point. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I did this at one point in my life. Many of you, all of you have done this. The, the difference is some of you eventually said by faith yes to Jesus. And some of you still have not. And there are five reasons from this text why some of you have refused 
this invitation. And here's the first one, and it may be the most important one. It's not explicit in the text. It's the the narrative of the text. Here's what I mean. The first reason, can we talk for just a moment? The first reason why some of you have said no to this is because of religion. You say, well, what do you get that from the text? The narrative of this, really, really simple, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, is this. Jesus is telling this parable because the Jews, God's chosen people, have rejected Him as Messiah, and it's now going to be open to the Gentiles. Okay, That's the little historical narrative. What does it mean for us? It means this. The people who had all the rules, who had all the festivals, who had all the religious activity, missed Jesus. And there are some of you in this room, you've been around church all your life, you grew up in a Christian family, the problem is you've mistaken that for a relationship with Christ. You have said no to worldliness. And you've assumed that that meant you said yes to Jesus. Wrong. One of the the baptisms that I remember most as a pastor at my last church was a man by the name of Randy. He was an older gentleman. And, um, and if he hears that online, I'll probably get a nasty email. But I, in a sermon, said one time, there are some of you that raised your hand at vacation Bible school that will spend eternity in hell. And a man who had spent all his life in church said, that's me. And he repented of his sins. And in a week or so, we baptized Randy. The greatest danger facing many of you in this room is not worldliness, it's religion. Because you'll assume you're in when in reality, you're going to the wrong feast. Here's a second reason why some of you have said no to this invitation, and that's busyness. Look at verse 5. This is explicit in the text. But they paid no attention and went off. One went to his farm, the other to his business. Right here, Brian, some of you are saying, man, I don't have time for this, Jesus. i got a business to run. i got a family to raise. i got things to do. I mean, one day I want to take this seriously, but just not right now. I've got too many other things going. Listen to yourself. You're too busy for God? That's crazy. That's crazy. Your scheduling is preventing you from being at the one thing you need to be at. There's another reason. It's not just religion and busyness, but it's also indifference. Notice, they paid no attention and went off. Right here, here's what happened. The invitation came and they went, eh, whatever. Take it or leave it. Maybe, maybe not. It doesn't really matter. And in your indifference, and in your neutrality, you are missing your ultimate joy. Here's another reason. Hostility. Notice what they do in verse 6. While the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. Wow, that's, that's, that's kind of serious. But here's what it translates to us. It's this. There are some of you who are very, very bitter. 
And you're bitter towards God and you might not even know it because something has happened in your life that you don't think should have happened. Or something hasn't happened in your life that you think should have happened. And you're hostile. It may be that you don't believe in all this bodies walking out of the grave, Jesus resurrected. But there's something within you that when the Gospel comes up, you get defensive. And that defense is keeping you from the greatest invitation you could ever receive. But then notice lastly, you have self-righteousness. This will preach to our culture. Look at verse um, 11. What in the world is this guy doing with the, the whole garment thing? But when the king came in and looked at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now, now what's going on here? Here's a guy. See, in those days, the, the king would, would say, this is the attire that you're going to wear. And when you showed up for the party, you'd put on the garment and you'd go in. Well, this guy tried to slip in through the back door. Tell me I'm going to wear a garment. I'll wear what I want to wear. And there are some of you in this room that you think, I can get to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. Don't tell me I need this Jesus. I'm good enough. I'm not perfect, but I do some good things. You're never going to get in that way. There are some of you that you would say, listen, I believe that God is a God of love. He would never send anybody to hell. That's really big in our culture today. Here's the problem. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. And He knows more about this party than we do. Amen? And he says, you're not going to slip through the back door. You're only coming through the front door. And that front door is named Jesus. It's the only way you get in. It's the only way you're getting in. It's to repent of your sin. Acknowledge that you can't get in on your own. And to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Because make no mistake, you will be held accountable for how you respond to this invitation. The king, notice what he does in verse 7, the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then in verse 13, the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you say, that, that seems a little harsh. Now, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. You remember a few moments ago when I told you if somebody looked at your son and said, they're not worth my time. How much more when you're dealing with the Son of God? It doesn't fly in our culture, but saying no to the Son of God is worthy of eternal punishment. He's that holy. But I got even better news for you this morning is that He extends grace. 
I love what the king does in this story. Verse 8. He said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. Let's go. Let's do this thing. But those invited were not worthy. So go therefore into the main roads, invite the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads. They gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. You need to write this down in bold letters and then highlight it. This party is going to happen. Whether you and I are there or not, that's a whole other story. But make no mistake, this hall will be filled because Jesus is worthy of that worship. But God is such a gracious God, when He could have shut it all down, He said, no, 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 extend grace. And He invites people to the party who don't belong at the party. Which is really good news if you're a sinner like me. Because some of you this morning would say, wait, 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 there's no way I could go to this. There's no way I could say yes to this. This is way out of my league because I've got a sexual addiction that I struggle with and I've got a, a drug addiction that I struggle with. Pastor, I've got a past that I am so ashamed of. If you put my thoughts up on the screen that I've had this week, I'd be humiliated. And so would we all. But isn't the grace of God an amazing thing? That banquet hall is going to be filled with people who didn't deserve to be there. But they humbled themselves enough to the point where they said yes. I'm all in. And for those, there will be the clanging of glasses. And for the others, there will be the gnashing of teeth. What does this have to do with all in? It's because I was convicted that while I'm calling you as Christians to be all in for Jesus, that you can't do any of that until you're all in with Jesus. And my fear is that there are people hearing my voice every single week who deep down have said no to the invitation to come and follow Christ. And I plead with you this morning, repent. Walk away from your religion. Walk away from your schedule. Walk away from your neutrality. Walk away from whatever it is keeping you from this party. And walk to Jesus. And the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And then one day, we're going to gather with a whole bunch of other people for a wedding feast. People that look a lot different than we do and have a lot of different traditions than we have. And what will not matter in that day is their traditions or our traditions. What will matter in that day is Jesus. And if you'd listen for just a moment, you might hear it. 
the clanging of glasses, the laughter of people, the joy of being in the presence of God. And you've been invited. Are you in? If not, this morning would you look to Jesus and say, I do. Pray with me. God, as your messenger, I have given the invitation. The question is now, how will we respond? And what I want to pray, because there's someone in this room who has been hiding behind a lot of religion for a long time. And there are some in this room who thought I would never belong. And this morning, as a result of Your Word, I trust that we see clearly that the call is to respond by faith and to be all in with a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, would You do that work by Your Spirit. In Christ's name, Amen.